0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Zeitcast. It's so good to have you around. It's August the 8th, and I'm actually getting ready to go to Ireland for a few days. I'm going to be doing a festival there called Open Skies, as well as Open Skies Netherlands. And I'm bringing that up because I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do some stuff on location. I'm going to have some guests that I'm unbelievably excited about. I don't know how many of you might be familiar with Padraig Otama. He is a poet, a writer. Uh, deep and brilliant soul i'm definitely going to be interviewing him in the next few days for the zeitcast. I am ecstatic about it i mean i'm t- I'm a schoolboy about being able to have Podrick on the show. Uh, Jason Upton is going to be on the show we're going to be doing some ministry together so uh, we're going to hang out Pat Barrett from house fires it's going to be so much fun and if anybody out there has connections i'm just going to throw this out there since i'm going to be in Ireland for a week, if Bono would be on the show. Bono, do I need to display my YouTube tattoos for the camera? If anybody wants to get Bono on, I'm just saying we do have an opening where there is room for you, Bono, to be on. So you never know what happens when you know you're in Ireland. We'll see. I've stalked him before. Anyway, um, today I want to share a couple things with you. One, um, it's been such an interesting week uh, on tomorrow's podcast, in particular. I want to recap some of the news, some of the things that are happening in the world, try to give some perspective, some thoughts on that. But in particular, I was flying to Springfield, Missouri, of all places, Monday morning, got up really early and just had some things in my head still, uh, the shootings over the weekend, the terror of that, the horrors of that. And it prompted this reflection early that morning that kind of came to me out of nowhere, this sense that... As horrible as those tragedies are, and as as much as there's a, a kind of terror that's there, I thought about some of the terror that I grew up with in terms of how I thought about God, how I thought about the things of God, the kind of terror that I still feel like a lot of people live with, so that no matter what happens in the world, no matter how much violence, no matter how um, how awful something might be, that there is a view of God, there's an understanding of God that is more terrible still. So it prompted this reflection, uh, and I'm not gonna read things verbatim on here all the time, but somehow I felt like I captured something in the moment that um, I I wouldn't know how to do any other way. So I wanted to to actually read this to you and then just share, uh, share a few thoughts, a few reflections after the fact. But it goes like this. There is so much horror in the world many terrors for people to fear. Yet so many people live every moment of their lives with a sincere conviction that God is the greatest terrorist of them all. It relativizes every other fear because whatever horrors may come, none are so fearsome as the monster who lies in wait on the other side of the veil. The bloodlust of the shooter, youthful acne still in his face, hate and angst running hot in his blood, may have been satiated by the bodies under the seasick fluorescent lights in the store. Maybe he got something of the attention he felt he was somehow denied, and the rage is out when he wakes up, like a campfire from the night before. We might even imagine him living long enough to be tormented by the memories in his dreams, coming to regret it. But the anger and adolescent revenge fantasy of the punk-ass kid does it hold a candle to the one some call God who burns with a wrath that no amount of bodies will ever satisfy, no matter how long they suffer? He is a petty, petulant deity who will slow roast you for millions of years if you do not pray the prayer after the preacher on TV, throwing you in the same pile with Hitler and Jews who didn't become Christians and gays and liberals and the people who don't honor the exit one road at a time rule on the airplane and cut in front of you. Okay, maybe they do deserve it. Don't you know they're all the same to him? That may sound mean to your tiny mind, but in the wisdom of the Almighty, there's only one category for them all, extra crispy. You wish you'd only face the wrath of the brat who spent one too many night eating Doritos and jacking off while reading the underground websites of white nationalists. His bloodlust will not go on forever. Give me Ida Amin or Charles Manson or Dylan Roof, Jesus. Anybody but the one that some call father. For the wrath of the one on the throne will not be satisfied in one billion years. Two billion won't even be a start. He sees the fire dance in the bodies of the damned gleam in his eyes and he shouts more. And why is he so angry exactly? Well, he's all about personal glory, you see. And it's not vanity if you're a deity, not narcissism if you're a god. Oh, how he loves to hear his name. Yes, you better say his name. You better get his name right. Because he's like a scorned middle school boyfriend refreshing his social media feed, checking for mentions every three seconds, needing the endorphins, the adrenaline rush, needing to be needed, needing to be seen. Oh, yes, they will know my name. Yes, they will say my name. 13.5 billion years of creation has unfurled before him as a private show, but nothing makes him as angry as the profanity on television nowadays. And honestly, have you seen the way women are dressing? He sulks and stews as he paces streets of gold, nursing every slight, rehearsing every grudge. They have not paid him ceremonial homage in their public meetings. The eyes of Zeus, I mean, God, are full of thunder. When I come back, I'll show them. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess all right, whimpering like frightened children when he holds the sword of the Lord to their pencil necks. You read this and it does not settle in your stomach. And the truth flickers in your mind like an old femoral. The truth you've always known in your bones, but not always known how to say that God is not like this, that God has never been like this. That there is benevolence that holds all things together, not malevolence in the center of the mystery. That love is God's name, the name you've always known. And that the son of love came to save us from the tyranny of our violence and our greed, not to save us from the one Jesus called Abba, who has always called you by your own true name. Yes, that love is hot, that love is fire, and the flame of it is scalding when your heart is cold with indifference. But read the pages of the prophets and see what has always animated that flame, that God was never angry because he didn't have enough songs or get enough abstract glory. That God has never brooded in rage because people are broken and addicted and bumbling. That God didn't lose sleep because the temple wasn't tidy enough or because people cussed too much. No, the relentless drumbeat of the prophets was this and only this. Do justice. Stop exploiting the poor among you. Stop trampling the needy. As I cared for you when you were enslaved, care for the weak among you now, the oppressed, the widow, the marginalized, the abused. Love them as I have loved you. How many times were we told outright that burnt offerings and sacrifices were never what this God wanted? That our religious festivals and fast were actually obnoxious to this God? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke, Isaiah 58, 6. This God is not looking for you to barter with him by offering to lengthen your quiet time. What this God wants and has always wanted was not longer prayers, but wider hearts. This God is not looking for you to clean up your act, but to clear space at your table for your neighbor. It's not sacrifice that God is looking for, but for you to lay down your weapons and walk the way of the vulnerable, the way of the cross. Tenacity is not required of you. Tenderness is. Piety is not required of you. Only to live justly, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. Some part of you recognizes that the God described toward the end is what God looks like because that's what Jesus looks like. And spoiler alert, Christ is God. Christ has always been God. Christ will always be God. And there are no other gods beside him. Why does one description ring hollow and false while one leaps in your belly, even if some of the particulars aren't quite sorted in your head? I'd contend that not simply because that this is not simply because it's what you want to believe or would like to believe, Rather, the spirit of God bears witness to the truth of who God is, who God has always been. God is beautiful and calls you beautiful even in the unlovely places and calls you out now from the loud noise of hatred and rage to follow Jesus in a beautiful way. For some of you, the God you've been worshiping is worse than the devil. And I can't think of any more happy, liberating invitation to all of us who have nursed lies that impugn the good character of God than to repent, which simply means change your mind. Your life doesn't need to be changed nearly so much as the way you see God. Though even if you glimpse for a moment the way that God smiles when looking at you, it will change your life indeed. God hovers over you with delight, singing over you, Binding every wound and mending everything that is torn. To follow is only to say yes to this fierce mercy. And then to go and to do likewise in the world around you. This and only this. That's my little devotional for today. (laughs) I laugh because I'm incapable of doing anything small. I feel like even I try to do something small, it comes out bigger than I mean for it too. I feel like most of what I wanted to say is there, Um, but I think you know, as you probably could feel, this certainly comes from a deep place in me, because I think so long as you really still believe on some level that God endlessly torments people, and that that, and I love that scripture actually, um, that every knee and every Tongue will bow and every, I'm sorry, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I think it's ultimately the beauty of God that when it's on full display, that will be irresistible. I don't think it's the idea that somehow God will hold a gun to anybody's head, follow me or else. I don't think that's ever what the invitation has been. And part of what I think is happening. And I don't even—I have language to articulate this. I see it happening across Christian traditions. I see it happening in all kinds of places. I can't help but feel like that there's something of the Holy Spirit in this. There's something of revelation in this. I feel like all over people are waking up to the character of God. I think that's the, that's the reformation that's happening now, is that people who have grown up singing these songs, about the goodness of God, hearing sermons about the goodness of God. Well, at some point, that does come into contrast or come into relief with these competing images or ideas about who God is. So at some point, we have to choose this day whom we will serve. Does the God that we follow look more like Molech in the Old Testament that requires child sacrifice? Does the God that we follow look like Zeus, angry, petty, demanding, uh, does the God that we follow, is he constantly obsessed with personal slights? We know and see in the public square right now what that kind of megalomania looks like, uh, nursing every grie- grievance. They didn't say my name. They're not celebrating me just right. Is that really what God looks like? Is that the heart of God? Is that ever been what God has wanted is more worship songs, The more and more all this comes into perspective for me, it seems so clear that from the very beginning of the story, what God's always wanted was justice. What God's always wanted was for us to clear space for our neighbor. What God has always wanted, we see that with the prophets in particular over and over again, what it looks like to love God this direction is to love our neighbor this direction. And there's no substitute for it. There's no getting around that. How we love them is how we love this God. This is what God requires to, again, to live in humility, to live in justice, to live in mercy. That's the invitation. Mm -hmm. And I find that um, maybe there's nothing I'm more passionate about. There are all kinds of particulars that are meaningful to me and I love to have the individual theological conversations and we'll have plenty of them on the Zeitcast. We'll explore plenty of the rabbit trails. But know that for me, in terms of any kind of a personal mission, this is always what drives me the most is I want to change people's minds about how they see God, how they see the character of God. Because that for me, that's the switch. I know some people in my life feel like I've changed my mind about a lot of things. I know it because I do read your Facebook comments. <laughs> I don't engage a lot of them, but I do read them. <laughs> and, uh, and I know a lot of people feel like I'm on some kind of a slippery slope. But you know, in the end, the end of the day, there's really only been one theological shift in my life. I came at some point to actually believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In the language of Hebrews, the exact representation of who God is. I came to fully believe that God is completely revealed in Christ and that God is love. That's the only thing I've ever really changed my mind about. And if you change your mind about that, well, the whole world starts to look different. A whole lot of the other things in the in-between, a whole lot of the other issues come to different perspective too, but that's been the only real shift. That's the only real change. Is God love or not? Does God really look like Jesus or not? Is Jesus the full revelation of God and everything else that we thought we knew about God uh, has, it has to be um, completely revisited through that perspective? Was everything partial and incomplete or, or not? If Jesus is the fullness of who God is, that changes everything. And so that's always the challenge for me if it doesn't look Christ-like, then it's not who God is. But does it have the character? Of if, if, you, if you read Jesus in the Gospels, if you couldn't imagine Jesus saying or doing it, don't imagine that God would say or do it. To quote the great uh, New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham in his wonderful work on Revelation, um, he talks about how in the book of Revelation, whatever the Lamb is doing, that's what God is doing. That's a good line for Revelation, but that's a good line in general about how I understand Scripture and the Trinity and all that. Whatever the Lamb is doing is what God's doing. (laughs) If you come to really believe that, whatever Jesus is doing, that's what God is doing, what God has always been doing. So that's the message of my life. That's what I want to pour my life's blood into. And I'm ending on this uh, knowing I've been ranting for a minute. And I don't know if this seems like a left turn once again, but I've been thinking about this since uh, last week. I mentioned a few days ago that, When I was in Charlotte to visit my family that my parents are getting ready to move. And so they've been going through all these old things. And one thing I thought was kind of amazing. My mom found this little gift box that uh, basically my great grandmother, it was a little Christmas present she had for me that somehow didn't get opened. And how this landed and a big box of other things, we have no idea. My great-grandmother Craven died somewhere. I think she died in 1991. She would have been in her mid-80s or so. Uh, This box would have been around 1982 or 1983. So I would have been either four or five years old. So got to open this box. And inside of this, for those who are watching, not listening... Uh, can see, I'm holding a $5 bill. So this is the actual $5 bill that was in that box. And it's kind of just a crazy thing to open a Christmas present from your great-grandmother from 1982, 1983, and to have like this $5 bill. And um, (laughs) I mean, she's been gone for a long time. And I can't tell you, like in in ways that I don't, can't fully account for, I'm just really moved by this freaking $5 bill. Like what? But, and I, I kind of keep I just keep holding on to it because on the one hand, I thought maybe the best way to honor my great grandmother and, the, you know, the gift and the giver is to spend it. But there's there's this other thing that's like, you know, I live in Oklahoma. Am I really going to go to the quick trip and spend this five dollars on beef jerky and a diet Dr. Pepper? Like that just something about that just feels fundamentally weird to me. And so, like in this moment, um, it's like this This $5 bill has become representative to me, almost allegorical of this broader thing that I feel like up until this point in my life, and I don't think I'm old, but I'm not as young as I used to be, and I have a much clearer sense that of how fragile life is and how finite life is, and you only get so much time. And so it's like the question in my life right now, what are you going to do with this five bucks, you know? What are you going to do with what you actually have in your pocket? You have limited resources to spend. You have limited time. What are you going to really do with it? That's part of why I feel, where I feel like even this podcast has come from, because I know coming on daily is ridiculously ambitious. But I have this sense that part of what God wants to do, at least in this season of my life, maybe this will resonate with some of you, is um, the language of Paul being poured out like a drink offering. I feel like a lot of things have been poured into me and now's the time it just needs to be poured out. And some of that I'm sure will be messy and all of that, but I feel like it's supposed to be poured out. And so I'm just saying all that maybe by way of a bit of a closing challenge here. I wonder what unopened Christmas box you have. I wonder what $5 bill is in your pocket. I wonder what resources God has given to you and how are you gonna spend it? You know, What's it gonna mean? What are you gonna do with what you've got? It's so easy for any of us to spend so much time, I do it as much as any of us, thinking about what you don't have. I feel like especially these last few years of my life, there's this long in-between season where I spent so much time fixated on, on the things I don't have. But what do you have? What has God actually put in your hands? What are you going to do with what actually is in your pocket now? What do you have? How will you spend it? I think that's a question worth asking. So thanks for hanging out for the Zeitcast. As always, thank you to Reese Black, my wonderful producer. I want to encourage you to stay in touch on Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, JonathanMartinWords.com, if you would support us on Patreon so we can keep this going. That is deeply, deeply appreciated. And um, I don't know what platform you're checking this out on, but we are on uh, YouTube. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts as well, especially being early stages right now. Liking, reviewing, sharing really means a lot to us. So any support you can give us in that way is uh, tremendously helpful. Thank you so much for that. And the next time that we do this, I'll be talking to you straight from Dublin, Ireland. So looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Talk to you soon.